0: This is Dollar Collapse, your ringside seat for the global economic crisis. To get the full story, go to dollarcollapse.com. Welcome. You are listening to the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz. It's June 2nd, 2017. First five months of the year behind us. And latest job numbers, well, to summarize it, more bartenders, less engineers. And John Rabino's is with us now. By the way, email us, kl at karylutz.com. John, good morning.
1: Morning, Carrie. Yeah, good timing today, too. We, we had a brutal jobs market report that was just released. And uh, basically, it, it shows way fewer jobs being created than than expected. Big revisions to past month's reports, which wiped out a lot of jobs. And the internals are even worse than the headline numbers because we, we lost 367 full-time jobs in the last month and gained 133,000 part-time jobs. So um, not only are we not creating as many jobs as we we expected to, but the jobs we are creating are mostly part-time jobs. And uh, 608,000 people left the labor force, which reversed a trend of people coming back into the labor force in previous months. So this looks like the kind of thing that, w- that we saw, you know, two years ago, when the unemployment rate goes down, but everything else, Else is terrible about the report. Yeah, um, so the, the market's kind of reacted to it. Interest rates went down in the US pretty dramatically. You know, um Treasury bond yields now are at pretty close to their low level for the past 12 months, which implies a slowing economy and money flowing back into uh, fixed income. Um, Stocks didn't necessarily react too much to it. Uh, You know, the um, the Dow and the S&P, let me see as we speak, are up slightly, you know, so Mm -hmm. um, low interest rates are also kind of sort of good for stocks, although with kind of a mixed message, you know, low interest rates imply a weak economy. That's bad for stocks. But if they imply a better trade-off or a better comparison between dividend yields on equities and bond yields, then that's good for stocks. So right. stocks basically went up again.
0: Uh, everything and, is uh, good for stocks. You know that. No matter what happens, it's, we're living in, a, in the best of all possible worlds. Yeah. and uh, Zada, Yeah. Well, you know what, what
1: everybody expects, I think, is the, uh, the Fed to come in at some point and start buying equities explicitly yeah. instead of doing it secretly through the plunge protection team. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be explicit government policy to support the stock market by creating money out of thin air and buying equities. Now that, you know, in the short run, that's good for equity traders. It means you, you got this big buyer in there pushing up prices kind of indiscriminately. In the long run, it's horrendous because it um, it paralyzes the price discovery mechanism of markets. You know, you and I've talked about right. this a bunch of, of times course. Kerry. So um, your, your listeners probably don't need to hear it again, but it's just a, a disaster for the um, the concept of capitalism as a wealth created machine. You know, and yeah. what markets do is when they're actually working is they they allocate capital efficiently from people who have it to people who want to put it to work to create jobs and create wealth in general. Um, but that only works if the price signals that markets generate from free people pursuing their own interests um, mean something. And if you've got governments in there distorting markets for public policy reasons, then those markets don't work anymore. See, that just goes back to the the misunderstanding uh, about how an economy works on the part of the political class and um, the the Keynesian economists who advise the political class, uh, they look at gov- at the private sector as this ATM machine where you go to get cash in order to pursue the really important stuff, right. which is what government is doing, you know, and yeah. and they don't understand how that wealth is created. They don't understand how the money gets put into the ATM machine to begin with, and and it gets in there by markets. Um, efficiently allocating capital and creating wealth. Well, if you Distort that process, then the wealth creation process grinds to a halt. The ATM doesn't get filled up with cash, and you don't get to withdraw that cash to do stuff with it. You know, that's it's like Margaret Thatcher's old saying that uh, yeah. socialism always breaks down because it eventually runs out of other people's money, really? and that's what's happening in this world today. Or, or you know, go back to Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, um, which you can criticize on a lot of levels, but its its basic message is profound, which is that when government gets too big and too powerful and starts distorting markets, capital goes on strike. Yeah, And exactly. the creative class basically just leaves the game and says, you know what, if you're going to make it impossible for me to create wealth, I'm not going to bother. You know, I'll just take yeah. what I've got and I'll go enjoy my life. I'll sleep in, I'll, you know, ride around exactly. on my yacht with you know, fun and, people. and
0: Yeah, and hang out with Elon Musk. I mean, mm-hmm. look, uh, and, and the important thing to realize uh, is that this isn't theoretical, Right, it's not a theory. It really works this way. People say, "Well, that's the way it used to work," you know, in the uh, age of the robber barons. But now we're in a different era. But these are economic laws that you really defy at your own peril. Because oh, absolutely, this is you
1: works. know that that's not to say there should there should never be any regulation. You know, I, yeah. I, actually am a big fan of antitrust regulation. I think you should limit the size that entities can, um, can expand into yeah. because they become distort, market distorters themselves. Once they get too big, you know, the, the mm-hmm. that we have like six banks controlling most yeah. of the, um, the housing market in the U S and most of the rest of the financial markets in the world means that we don't have free markets anymore. And so breaking up the big banks by reimposing Glass-Steagall would actually be a very good thing. That would not be an example of governments distorting markets. That would be an example of governments preserving competition within free markets. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so stuff like that is okay. But when you have governments buying bonds across the board to distort interest rate price signaling or, or, you know, next year's story of buying equities across the board, you know, just buying the S&P 500, Without regard to um, you know which component of that index is a good buy and which isn't a good buy, pushing the price of everything up, uh, then that's a bad thing, and and that's really what we're seeing now. You know, the governments of the world have distorted markets to the point where they don't really even exist anymore. Like like the old saying, "There are no markets anymore; there are only manipulations." That's that's very yeah. true in a lot so of cases. Chris
0: now. Powell said so. Yes, it's Chris very Powell. true. Very true, and uh, very sad. But this is. This is where we're living. This is the world we're living in. And markets are really important, functional, that they function properly and that uh, that they properly allocate resources. I mean, it's all economic theory and all that and risk. You know, markets no longer allocate risk because the prices that things go for, are dependent upon the Fed's manipulation of interest rates rather than the actual underlying risk involved in the so-called investment, right? Oh so, yeah. You 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 know,
1: if you're a hedge fund manager or something like that. By the way, hedge funds are cratering out there all over the place. Good. And that's for them. one of the reasons that they are, that they you know, they, they evolved to um to exploit inefficiencies in markets. But if markets are being al- already manipulated by governments, all the old models that hedge funds used to use to, to generate alpha, you know, ex- excess right. return over the risk-free return, uh, you know, they, they, they don't work anymore. So these guys who have been superstar investors for 20 or 30 years are basically getting out of the business because the markets don't work anymore and their, their old models, the things that used to make them money, have failed. And that's that's a... An important sign that uh, that we're headed for something really serious here, because if we can't create huge amounts of new wealth via market mechanisms, then we can't service our debts because we've taken on, you know, the amounts of debt that can only be serviced by a really rip roaring, growing economy that is creating huge amounts of new wealth to service the, the debts that we've taken on in the past. And if we can't do that, then that debt is gonna crush us. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're heading for a point, Carrie. and you know, again, as, as we've talked about a whole bunch of times, and your, your listeners have heard over and over, we're heading for a point where the system just breaks down because mm-hmm. the debts are overwhelming our ability to create new wealth. And you know, the numbers make it seem like that day is imminent, <laughs> but who knows? Hey, you know, don't we, forget,
0: when, you know, one thing we didn't mention, Yesterday, Moody's cut Illinois' credit rating to just barely above junk. It's the lowest credit rating that any state in the U.S. has ever had. I guess since there really wasn't Moody's during the Depression. Um, I don't think they rated government debt back then. But Illinois, I mean, that is the poster child. Puerto Rico's already more or less bankrupt, and there's more to follow here. So something has to give, and I don't think that the Feds are just going to print money up and and bring these uh, bring these states back to even or less underwater than they are. There's got to be fundamental reform in in our uh, in our financial system, which means in the public pension sector. It's got to happen because what is the alternative here, John?
1: Well, the alternative is a gigantic crisis, Gary. And in, in, in Illinois is probably the catalyst for that part of the process. You know, there are a million things that could blow up and tip the system over into a crisis. And state and city pension plans are definitely on that list and Illinois is definitely the first of the um, the major ones to go you know they're already yeah. functionally bankrupt they haven't had a, yeah. an actual budget for years and and they're borrowing to fund their pension plans but they're still underfunding the pension plans you know you know the whole pension bond idea is just shocking basically what what really badly run states do now is they borrow money and they use it to fund their pension plan on the assumption that the pension plan will generate more return a higher return with that money than the state has to pay to borrow okay an arbitrage and it's an arbitrage it, it, it is. It's an arbitrage that will blow up in their face because in a market downturn, the pension fund will, will generate a negative return. They will actually lose money on their stocks and bonds, while the state will still have to pay that interest rate on the money that it borrowed. Right. So that widens their liability gap you know, between what they have and what they should have, um, rather than narrowing it and brings them that much closer to blowing up. And, and having their bonds be downgraded by Moody's and S&P and Fitch means that the interest rate that they have to pay pay goes up, which makes it that much harder for their pension plan to exceed the interest rate on the stuff that they're borrowing. Uh, so it brings them closer and closer to just a flat out default, at which point the federal government will have to step in. You know, This will be like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac blowing up in, in 2008 Correct. times five or six. You know, the, um, the underfunded pension plans around the country are immense. And if Illinois goes, then New York and Kentucky and New Jersey and California will follow. And Connecticut. Which, don't forget Connecticut. Conne- oh, God. Yeah. Connecticut might be uh, right up there with Illinois, apparently, which makes no sense since Connecticut is home to all the, the hedge funds, you know, where where they should run a budget surplus year after year after year in good times and have a rainy day fund that dwarfs the budgets of most states. But apparently not. You know, well, apparently they're so badly run that they're going to blow up, too.
0: Interesting that you should mention that, John, because there was just an article by the, uh, I think it was the guy who runs uh, Connecticut, their chief, Fiscal officer, but basically the 50 people who paid the most taxes in in the great state of Connecticut uh, basically aren't making as much money as they did 10 years ago, which gives lie to the whole meme that the top one percent are doing better than the great unwashed masses or the remaining 99 percent. It tells me that uh, yeah, they've made money and they've made back a lot of their losses, but still the struggling economy. You know, they say a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, a declining tide lowers all boats.
1: Yeah. And if, if one of these big states goes, uh, we'll see the, uh, the the tide go out for everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. Th- once one state blows up, say Illinois is forced to default or declare bankruptcy or, you know, do, do something that bankrupt. shines a light on how bad their finances yeah. are, that, then we yeah. start looking around for who's next.
0: Right. States can't go bankrupt under federal law. There is no means for them to do it. But all of their authorities and uh, all their subdivisions under them can. So I would say that there's going to be some kind of, if it's not a legislative solution to, to states, Declaring bankruptcy, it will be a judicial-created way of doing it. And what, you know, the the legislature in Illinois, they just don't. I mean, the judicial system there, the judges, the Supreme Court, they don't care about anything because they tried to reform their pension plan just a little bit, and it was struck down by the Illinois Supreme Court. You can't screw around with pension plans; they're sacrosanct. And mm-hmm. this is madness because, uh, you know, there's it's just uh, a total refusal. To uh you know face reality by the courts say so, no, we'll just tax yeah. them, tax them till they die, and we'll worry about it later well see that that's a symptom
1: of late stage decadent, capitalism with fiat currency where you haven't had to say no to anybody for decades because you've got this currency that you can just create out of thin air yeah. and just hand to people. Great. And, and so the entire political class from the beginning, you know, fr- from the courts all the way through the legislatures and the executive branches around the country, none of these guys have ever had to prioritize. Mm-hmm. So they have no idea how to look at a situation and say, all right, listen, we need to cut this thing. Yeah. And then we need to cut that over there. And then we need to take more from, here. you know, they, they don't do anything like that. They just um, spread the wealth around by creating new currency and handing it to people. So these guys are, are temperamentally and intellectually unequipped and dishonest for,
0: and dishonest. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, d- dishonesty is kind of a given <laughs> for yeah, these but guys. Intellectually but intellectually dishonest, intellectual yeah. dishonesty, right? I mean, yeah. let's well,
1: it. I mean, they, they've been honest in terms of the situation within they've been operating, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they've had all this money that they could hand out to people and they could get away with what they were doing. So to, to them, it was operating honestly because the system's rules were set up in such a way that they were su- kind of, sort of, supposed to do what they did, um, but you know, you know, now the system is blowing up, and they have no idea what to do because they've never had to just sit down with a major constituent and say, "Now nope, you can't have that." You know, we got to cut your pensions. We've got to dramatically raise your taxes. You know, we—they've never had to do anything like that, so they're just stumped. <laughs> they have no idea, and and so what has to happen is a crisis um, has to take place, which flushes out the old political class, and and ushers in a new political class that's willing to take on these issues. But usually, you know, the crisis has to be pretty immense for something like that to happen. You know, for us to do away with fiat currency, which is really the root of our current problem, you know, to go back to some kind of a gold standard, can you imagine what the uh, the list of alternatives would have to be for um the the world's governments to actually choose giving up their printing presses as the, oh the least evil thing that's gonna happen to them? You know, they would be, have to be staring imagine. at a, a Weimar style hyperinflation or a 1930s style capital D depression before um, going back to a non-fiat currency would seem like the best alternative. So we gotta have a gigantic crisis before all this stuff um, is resolved. And the question then becomes, you know, what's the catalyst? What what blows up first? <laughs> and and it could course, well be yeah. state and local pensions. It, uh, it could also so be much... a lot of other things, you know, <laughs> normalizing interest rates carry. I'm, yeah. I'm working on a magazine article now about, uh, you know, what happens if interest rates go back to historically normal levels and the numbers are breathtakingly bad, you know, J- Japan ceases to exist as a sovereign country. If that happens, Europe uh, is just like it's blowtorched. You know, That Europe can't function with normal interest rates. In the U.S., of course, you know, we'd be adding a trillion dollars a year to government spending if we uh, let interest rates go back up to six or seven or eight percent where they used to be.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Uh, that could happen too. We've said this for years. They can't Uh raise rates back to five percent. It's just uh, it's an existential event. The amount of interest that would have to be paid But hey, we owe the money to ourselves, right? Most of it's internal deficit, so we don't have to worry. We just won't pay ourselves back. We'll just forgive ourselves.
1: Isn't that an astounding analysis? You know, and you hear that from economists. Oh, it's no problem if you owe the money to yourself. You know, if the currency, if your debt is in your own currency, mm-hmm. then you can cover it forever by printing new money. Yeah. You know, and, and and that that leaves out the possibility that nobody will want that currency anymore if you're just going to create unlimited yeah. amounts of it well, to that cover. Would never happen. A, that would yeah, never happen. Never happen. You know the, the fact that it's happened a thousand times in previous human history should mean nothing. Don't just ignore history. You know, ignore the Roman Empire and yeah. Weimar Germany and and um, post-revolution France. Those aren't good examples because they happened a long time ago, <laughs> and the yeah. world is different today. But yeah. the, you know, the fact is, financial laws, as you said, are uh, are actual laws. You know, they they can be bent, but they don't break because mm. they relate to human decision making and human nature and those things don't change so if the supply of a currency starts to expand at a rate that spooks markets then that currency collapses Mm -hmm. and that's what you get if you try to keep interest rates artificially low for an extended period of time so so our choices are let interest rates rise and then collapse Or keep interest rates low and then collapse. (laughs) And it's really just a matter of timing. I think the keep interest rates low um, strategy buys us a few extra years, and that's why it will always be chosen by politicians. Yeah, But it doesn't solve any actual problem. It just delays the collapse for a little while.
0: Yeah, just kick the can down the road. That'll do it. Hell, hey, maybe uh, solar energy will save us, John.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, solar energy saves the environment, but it doesn't save our finances. Mm. We, we will transition to clean energy faster than anybody expects. Um, but we will have a gigantic financial crisis along the way, you know? And mm. and so I think you could argue that that's better than the opposite. You know, it's better than keeping our finances going for a long time, but having a gigantic environmental crisis. So, uh, you know, I think solar is a, a, on balance, a really positive story and electric cars and stuff. Yeah. You know, as you and I were talking about before we we went live, um, it's happening faster than anybody expected. Even the experts five years ago did not expect solar and electric cars to be coming along at the speed at which they're they're coming. So we have gone exponential and exponential markets are absolutely fascinating and always surprising because the human brain doesn't process information and extrapolate trends exponentially very easily. You know, we tend to think linearly where, okay, 5% growth for as far as the eye can see That's, that's cool, but it'll take 50 years to get to this point. But with an exponential market, um, that, that 50 year event horizon collapses down to five or 10 years. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're seeing with solar where it's it's now so cheap and the new solar products like um, Tesla's solar roof are so attractive that it's like air rushing into a vacuum, you know, all of a sudden, boom, everybody's doing it. And the numbers are just get amazing, you know, where, um, One day in March, for instance, in California, that state got almost half its electricity from solar for a couple of hours, which may not sound like much, except when you consider that solar was less than 1% of the global electricity market um, a few years before that. And it's still not much more than 1%. Right. So for a major state like California, to for, for any period of time to get almost half its power from a, from solar is astounding. And it, it gives you a little glimpse of the future. You know, if it was three hours on that day in March, it's going to be most of the time for two weeks mm-hmm. in 2018 and half the year in 2020 and so on, you know, until it just takes over. And coal is non-existent as a power source and oil is an afterthought.
0: That's, that's our world 10 or 15 well, years. Well, look, uh, you know, coal, definitely, there's still a lot of demand for it. A lot of power plants still run on it, but uh, these power plants are are old. Generally, they're not mm-hmm. building new coal-fired plants as a rule. So those will be replaced. But what's really uh, hit coal the hardest is the declining price of uh, nat gas. That's really uh, knocked coal because it's Cost-effective, much cheaper to run a natural gas-powered, fired uh, power plant than it is to uh, to do a coal-fired power plant. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because uh, a natural gas plant is flexible.
1: You can turn it on and off the way you turn your stove on and off. Yeah. Whereas a coal-fired plant kind of needs to run continuously. So if, if solar is going to become the, the baseline power, you know, the thing that runs most of the day and gives you electricity and then and then gas can kick in when there isn't enough solar power coming in or you know you've depleted the batteries that you use with your solar plant or whatever which Frankly, is not going to be very much going forward. Uh, then, then you have a, a system where you've got mostly solar and wind, augmented with battery storage, and then gas picking up the little bits of slack. And coal doesn't have a role in that market. So yeah, you know, I think it's almost over. I mean, yes, there there will be demand for coal as the current plants run through their useful lifetimes. But if we don't build any more coal plants and we close down the old ones year after year after year, um, ten or fifteen or twenty years from now, there there just won't be very many coal plants operating anymore, and there won't be much point to them. So at that point, it's going to be easy for governments to regulate them out of existence by increasing the um, or, or, or lowering the amount of, um, of pollution that they're allowed to produce, increasing regulations on them. Um, so that will accelerate the demise of fossil fuels in general, but coal in particular. Yeah, coal goes first and then oil goes as um, electric cars become easier to make and cheaper and because of that more popular, you know, they're already way more fun to drive. I, I drove a Nissan Leaf a while ago, which is kind of a low end yeah, electric car. That's not the nearly lowest. as much fun as a Tesla, mm-hmm. but it was a blast. You know, my wife and I were in there. By the time we got out, my wife was was lobbying for us just to buy one because she loved driving it so much. So I, I think if, you know, if that's the case with a low end electric car, mm-hmm. then it's going to be a no brainer for most people five years from now when better, more fun electric cars are out there at the same price, you know, as their their prices go down. And with economies of scale and um, improving battery tech, that's also a kind of a given, you know, electric cars will get cheaper going forward. And since they're already more fun to drive, um, I, I think. That, that's going to be another exponentially changing market. And the, the only thing will be the fact that, uh, that there's a huge base of existing cars out there that aren't going to go away, you know. So we'll yeah. still have an in, internal combustion engine driven cars mm-hmm. for another 20 years as the cars that are being bought today run through their useful lifetimes. But again, you know, it, it's going to be like um, digital cameras or something like that, where film dominates the market one year and then 10 years later, it's almost gone, you know, yeah. and, and that's how fast, well, that's almost how fast it will happen as the price of electric cars go down. So yeah, it's gonna be a fascinating process. The, oh, yeah. did, I think, Carrie it was you Lou, who sent me a study, right? That some somebody did a yes. study that said 10 years from now, there will be no internal combustion engine yeah, driven cars ridiculous. being sold. But,
0: yeah, that was ridiculous. That, but, that's
1: pretty yeah. aggressive. <laughs> yeah, because
0: there's certain things that like for hauling trucks, hauling large uh, loads, electric is just not going to do it. Not in its present form, right? So you just can't but, but we don't, get, you
1: know, we don't yeah. need to get to that point for mm-hmm. there to be a revolution. You know, if if it's yeah. just forty percent of the cars on the road are electric, something like that, mm-hmm. which that that's an astounding change, and something yeah. like that could happen in the next fifteen years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I don't know about forty percent, but uh, it's it's going to happen. I think uh, politically, it's wanted, and uh, and I think uh, it just has makes certain sense. And then, uh, then it's going to be interesting. So, hey, we didn't mention uh, today. Gold is up uh, 12.40 the ounce to around 12.78 and change. Silver's up 26 to 17.53. Probably, you know, if the news, if you were listening to the news, they'd say it's because of the lousy jobs report. But this is what's been happening for a while. Um, I guess we're not going to really get any movement in metals till gold breaks 1300 again. But we're getting to a good seasonal spot. Uh, you know, summertime, uh, Indian wedding season, got to pay out those dowries if you want to get rid of your daughters. Right. So that's uh, that's kind of what's happening there.
1: Yeah. Gold and silver will take off and and you'll have to be there when it does, because otherwise it'll be like what happened with mm-hmm. Bitcoin just lately here where, uh, you know, one day it's 900 yeah. <laughs> and the next day it's 1700. And the week after that, it's uh, it's 2700. And yeah.
0: Uh, oh, it's it's absurd. But Yeah. Bitcoin is a parabolic uh, market. And I believe in the long run, Bitcoin is going to go a lot higher, uh, but it's going to crash out here just like it did last time. It's going to crash and burn. I don't care who's buying it, how many Chinese want it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's just, it's parabolic and you can't sustain a parabolic rise.
1: And it's a market, right?
0: Bitcoin, a market,
1: Well, we carry, we we need to devote a whole show to this sometime because I I think what's happening now is fascinating in the cryptocurrency space because Bitcoin is soaring in part because it's, it's supply is limited by the algorithm Mm -hmm. that determines how, how you create it. Right. But the um, the supply of cryptocurrencies in general is not limited. There's mm-hmm. very exactly. low barriers to entry to that market, which means you, you need to view Bitcoin in the context of the cryptocurrency space. In other words, what's the total supply of cryptocurrencies? Yeah, infinite. And yeah, it's infinite, which means the cryptocurrency concept could ignite a hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if, yeah. if everybody's bringing new coins to market, then and and there be accepted by users then the supply the of if. that kind of currency goes up exponentially. It's, it's an interesting yeah. idea.
0: It's like mining stocks. It used to be it was difficult to create a new publicly traded mining company but uh, the wizards of Vancouver can create a mining company. Um, you snap your fingers, and they could have one. And it used to be difficult to create cryptocurrencies, and now any idiot with a uh, with a computer and uh, and you know is able to program in C can create a cryptocurrency. Right?
1: Anyone yeah. can do it. You so, know, Bitcoin is not even fifty percent of
0: the cryptocurrency right. market anymore. It's a third. Anymore. It's a third. And
1: that mean, that means there are other currencies that are worth more in the right. aggregate than Bitcoin.
0: All right, and. Well, here, like just, just to mention this, we're having um, a get-together on uh, Monday night talking about mining stocks, precious metals, storage, and, and Bitcoin. Uh, just go over to Financial Survival Network and sign up for it. You'll see the, uh, the listing there. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll have Andy Schechtman from Miles Franklin. We're having the uh, CEO of SSRI, Silver Standard. Uh, they have some news. And uh, myself, as well as Campbell McCrary. And it's really going to be a great event. It's free. Uh, It's going to be June 5th at uh, 7pm. So just go over to Financial Survival Network, click the sign up sheet there. You'll see it. Uh, right on top of this site. And uh, John, we're going to do one also. We'll have a mining company on, we'll talk about cryptocurrencies, we'll talk about storage, and I think it's going to be a great event. So figure next month we'll do one. Cool. All right. So we got to go on that note. We're running over and I got Mickey Fulp coming up with the monthly review. Uh, Anyways, find John's excellent work, prolific work over at dollarcollapse.com and email us kl at carrylutz.com. Go over to Financial Survival Network, sign up for that webinar roundtable and sign up for a newsletter. I got one coming out today. So if you miss it, you miss it and uh, Twitter feeds at Carrie Lutz. You can tweet us there and to the Facebook pages, Financial Survival Network. Hey, John, thanks for fitting us in uh, this late in the week. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Carrie. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to Dollar Collapse. For regular info and updates throughout the day, go to dollarcollapse.com.